Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. So the league is still reacting to that crazy Tyreek Hill deal. But the way the NFL offseason is going, it would not be shocking at all to me if somebody else gets dealt before I even finish my thoughts on what happened yesterday. Think about this. In the last couple of weeks, Khalil Mack, Russell Wilson, Devontae Adams, Deshaun Watson, and now Tyreek Hill have all been moved. That's a hell of a lot of Pro Bowls and a couple of gold jackets all moving around. And they're all ending up in the same place, the AFC. Every single one of them either left the NFC for the AFC or they just switched teams within the AFC. So what I'm saying is, NFC teams, let's go. Do something. Let's go. Do something. Do something other than just standing there and bleeding out talent. Like, do what the Dolphins are doing. When was the last time we said that? When did you ever think you'd hear that? Do what the Dolphins are doing. And what they're doing is they're trying to do something. Because that's exactly what they're doing right now. They're going for it. They fired their head coach after back-to-back winning seasons. They got sued. They're facing allegations that the owner offered to pay his head coach to lose games. And then now on top of all of that, they're actually trying to win games. It's almost like they're looking for some sort of distraction. Or better yet, they're looking to run a misdirection from all the crap sandos that they were eating the first couple of months of the offseason. I guess what I'm saying is for the first time in a long, long time, the Dolphins are newsworthy. And for all the right reasons, not the wrong reasons, they brought in Taron Armstead. They've added Raheem Mostert and Chase Edmonds. Now they're pairing Tyreek Hill with Jalen Waddell? I mean, are you kidding me about that? And do not ever sleep on Mike Gusecki. You'd think that guy might have a little more space to work with right about now. Like, I always think about what I'm going to say before I say it. So I want to think about this for a minute. Because I can't believe that I'm about to say what I'm about to say. But did the Dolphins just become must-see TV? I mean, I can't believe that just came out of my mouth. And not only did it just come out of my mouth, I'm going to say they are. They did become must-see TV. Now, they might not be the best offense in the NFL, but they might be the most exciting and the most watchable. And if Tua can hold up his end of the bargain, they could be electric. Again, you've got Hill and Waddle, two of the fastest dudes in the league, running together. And it's not just about pure speed. They're two of the best in the league with the ball in their hands. You get the ball in their hands, you get the yards. The yards after catch. Y-A-C. Four days. And the new head coach, Mike McDaniel loves YAC. He's a yak generator. For each of his four years that he was in Frisco, the Niners led the league in YAC per reception. And now he's got even better weapons now than he did then. What I'm saying is, look the hell out. Because there's going to be a lot of dudes running free in South Florida. Now, I'm not saying that makes them a team that's Super Bowl worthy. I'm not saying that all of a sudden they're a team that's good enough to make a Super Bowl run. They may not even be good enough to win the division, obviously. But they're good enough 
to find out if Tua is good enough. Let me repeat that. They're now finally good enough to find out if Tua is good enough. And that would be the biggest win of their season. Like, there are a lot of reasons as to why Tua has not delivered since he arrived in the NFL. If I wanted to make a defense for him, I could. His injury, his offensive line, the fact that he was shuffled in and out of the lineup. But all of those excuses, even if they're valid, even if they're valid, then they no longer are now. It's all out the window right now. Either this guy produces or he doesn't. And if he doesn't, they move the hell on. It's that simple. Because at a certain point, you run out of excuses. And they and he are at that point right now. Like, you've got to find out if your guy is your guy. And that's exactly what the Dolphins are doing right now. So this goes one of two ways, of course. Tua steps up, he plays well, maybe dominates with all those weapons, or he doesn't do it at all. And then if he doesn't get it done, they can go with Teddy Bridgewater, and then they can go find another quarterback before they have to sign Tua to an extension. Look, I'm not even saying that Tua has to be bombing away deep all the time. Like, if he doesn't have that arm, and probably doesn't, that's fine. You can still stretch the field horizontally as well. When you've got this talent around him, and when you've got that kind of talent around anybody, there are still lots of different ways to win. Figure it out. Or get the hell out. And, speaking of get the hell out, that's essentially what Kansas City told Tyreek Hill. Once it was clear that they were not going to agree on a contract, they packed his bags for him. Pack your bags. Like, thanks for the Super Bowl ring. Hit the bricks, pal. Hit the bricks, pal. <laughs> you know it's tremendous, too? Nobody had a better reaction to the trade than the team's new safety, Dion Bush. He had just signed with KC, and he tweeted yesterday morning, quote, What's up, Chiefs Kingdom? You know, the classic... I just got signed with a new team, better reach out to the new fans, and introduce myself, tweet. Then he realized what was up with Chiefs Kingdom. He just realized that Chiefs Kingdom was freaking the hell out because they were losing Tyreek Hill. So he quickly chased the first tweet with one that said, quote, my bad, y'all. I'll hit y'all back later, which is hilarious. That's so good. That's the ultimate, excuse me, my bad. Excuse me, my bad. Like the funniest grand opening, grand closing tweet combination in a long, long time. But why don't we talk about that trade for a minute from the Kansas City standpoint? Because the moment that deal broke, there was some pretty hot and pretty stupid takes flying around. You know, like the one that Patrick Mahomes would be exposed without Tyreek Hill. Like Patrick Mahomes was now just a guy without Tyreek Hill. Like, Tyreek Hill made Patrick Mahomes who he is. Pretty stupid take. Uh, honestly, I, I hate to resort to name-calling, but a pretty stupid take. In fact, one of the all-time dumbest takes. Yeah, I mean, yes, Kansas City's offense is not going to be as fierce or as intimidating or as scary without Hill, of course. That's a fact. That's how it is. Nobody can scare a defense more than Hill. I want to be very clear about that. But the other thing I want to be very clear about is, get the hell out of here with this crap about Patrick Mahomes getting exposed or Patrick Mahomes just being a guy now or Patrick Mahomes suddenly turning into Chad Henney without Hill. I mean, have you already forgotten about 13 seconds? 
even in his worst season as a starter, he was still top five in the NFL in yards and touchdowns. He was still just one play from his third straight Super Bowl. I mean, is the offense going to take a step back? Of course. No way you lose Hill and get more explosive. But Mahomes did just fine in 2019 without Hill for four games. See, Kansas City is making a bet. They're making the bet that Miami can't make. Kansas City is saying, we already know we have our quarterback, and we're going to have that quarterback for a long time. We've already solved the hard part. Now we have to plug in weapons, just plug in weapons around this guy and make it work. Now, granted, I'm not saying there are other weapons like Hill. There's not. But Kansas City is betting on the brain of Andrew Ryad and the arm of Patrick Mahomes that they can come up with something similar or maybe even something completely different and they can do it for less money. And then take that same money that they would have given to Tyreek Hill and then invest in the offensive line and the defense. And yeah, they've got to find somebody else to catch the ball too. But you're betting on your ability to figure that out. Now, if you want to second-guess something, go ahead and second-guess their decision not to get a deal done with Hill prior to Devontae Adams signing his deal because there was no way Hill was going to accept less than market value once he saw what Devontae signed for. But if the Chiefs had gotten out in front of that and they had taken care of that before Devontae signed his deal, then maybe Hill is still a Chief right now. If you want to crack them for that, go right ahead. Because while every other team in the AFC West is going ham and loading up, you're getting rid of your most dangerous receiver and your most important player not named Mahomes. Mahomes? The optics aren't good. In fact, that's a bad look. However, it's a business decision. I see why they did it. They're betting that they can still win without Hill. Maybe they can. Oh yeah, I love that sound. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. What Shopify does is it gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business so upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Listen. I know where we started and where we are right now, and I do not plan on stopping there because success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path. And Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. Do this for me. No, do this for you. Go to shopify.com slash Rome all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. You have to try this. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. That's shopify.com slash Rome, R-O-M-E, all lowercase. Do it. Check it out. But I'll tell you what, without Hill, they're no longer the team to beat in the AFC. That's not me talking. That's Vegas Books. Hell, they may not even be the team to beat in the AFC West without Hill. But they're making a calculated bet. As far as Tyreek leaving, Tyreek heading to Miami be like, I don't know, flashing the deuces to the Jets. 
Yeah, I love the Jets. Jets, like, ah, yeah, we got Tyreek. We're in the running. He's torn. He's torn. Yeah, the hell he is. That was my favorite part of that whole thing yesterday, that, quote, Tyreek is torn. Tyreek is torn. Torn between what? The Jets and Miami? Torn between the Jets and anybody? Come on, man. He hit them with a peace sign when they were 30 yards in front of him, and he knew he'd run right by him. Come on, Jets fan. You had about as much chance of getting Hill as Matt Milano, who was in front of Tyreek during that TD. Remember that play? The rest. Cheetah says goodbye. He's even giving a little wave here. Bye-bye. 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 And I like Milano a lot. I like every Buffalo Bill a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, so close. So instead of having him in your locker, Jets fan, your locker room, now you get to see him on the other sideline torching your secondary twice a year. And how about that NFL offseason? I have never, ever, ever seen anything like that. The NFL offseason is just dominating. The NFL offseason is rolling downhill with a head of steam and just stiff-arming every other sport. Like Marshawn Lynch just dragging dudes into the end zone. The NFL offseason is just piling on the scoreboard. Flea flickers, going for it on fourth downs, two-point conversions, onside kicks, piling on. Like the NFL offseason be like signing autographs, taking pictures with fans, heading to the clubs, pouring Dom all night long, shutting down the bars, waking up hungover, but right there, crack it on, heading right to the facility to watch film. Yet they're doing all that, the NFL offseason, while the NBA and even the NHL don't even bother showering. They're skipping their postgame pressers. They're boarding their planes. They're flying commercial in their game jerseys. Quietest flight you could ever hear. A pin drop. The NBA gets home, find out that the wife has left them, the dog ran away, their daughter never came home from her date. She ended up in Van Nuys in the dirt. NFL offseason, just killing it. Like, I'm shocked in that show open that another major alpha didn't move or get dealt or get traded. I mean, have they? Absolutely incredible. All right, so let me do this real quick. That was the sound of me slapping a tongue on my mic. And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you do not need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. He is Darius Butler. Darius, what's going on? How are you? Uh, hey, I'm great, man. I'm just waiting for the next the next move to come through. Dude, seriously, how crazy is this? Like, I had Kelvin Beecham, Darius, on the program yesterday from the Cardinals, and he said that even he was having a hard time keeping track of all these huge moves that have gone down the last couple of weeks. I mean, it was not that long ago that you never saw big names get traded. So what's your reaction when you see all these enormous deals happening a couple of times a week now? I mean, I love it. Honestly, I love it. NFL is obviously, um, you know, king and has been so for a while, but – I mean, you got March Madness going on. You got 
the NBA playoff push going on. You got all kind of things going on around the world, and the NFL is dominating the headlines every day, every week. Um, these huge names, like you said, are moving around. You know, Aaron, it started off with the Aaron Rodgers news and the Russell Wilson being moved, and everybody's blown away by that. Like, wow, Russell Wilson to Denver. Now it seems like that was, you know, two years ago with everything that's taken place since. I mean, it's absolutely wild. Um, but as a fan of the game, um, as someone who watches it, I mean, I, I'm, I'm more excited than ever. We, right. I mean, we still got a month left for the draft. It's insane. Darius Butler is joining us. It really is wild. So, Darius, if you're in that Kansas City locker room and you see all the other teams in the AFC West making these enormous moves, what are you thinking when you hear that Tyreek Hill is being dealt? I mean, you you understand the business side of it, and, you know, your team got to do what you have to do. You pay the quarterback, you know, half a billion dollars, so you know some tough decisions uh, were going to have to be made at some point, but you know, Tyree Hill, he's one of those guys that, you know, you walk around locker rooms, he just, he's he's different. You know, he's different. You know, he's been a pro bowl every year. He's been in the league and his, he's special. Everyone thinks about, you know, the speed first and foremost, but um, the guy, he can go up and make plays at the point of attack and go up to catch the ball. He, he, his start to stop is like no other. Um, I've never seen a combination of speed and quickness uh, with the wide receiver. He's strong. He just uh, brings so many different elements to a defense and, you know, you just have to respect them differently than most other guys. You know, you have to keep two safeties back. You have to keep someone on top of them. So uh, he's a special guy to let go, especially with the, you know, all-out arms race that's going on with the AFC West. Um, to see your team, you know, get rid of, rid of one of the best weapons that the NFL has ever seen, it's got to be a sickening feeling. But, you know, you still got one of the best coaches uh, of all time in your locker room, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and one of the best tight ends in the league as well. So, um, you know, they, they, they still got enough – uh, weapons to, to go out and compete. I like that. You covered a lot of ground that I was going to ask you about. We are joined right now by Darius Butler. He is the creator and host of the Everything DB show on YouTube. He is co-host of the Man to Man podcast. All right, so Darius, I know you're a big Justin Herbert guy. I am as well. Who then is the team to beat in the AFC West this year? You know, most my, my heart still says the Chiefs, but my mind, I got to go with the Chargers. I mean, they made all the right moves. Um, you got a quarterback on his rookie deals, and they got a, had a lot of money to spend this offseason. You went out and got Khalil Mack, um, one of the best guys, not only off the edge rushing the passer, but also one of the best guys on the edge, um, you know, setting the edge in the run game, which is one of the most important things to do when it comes to defense and stopping the run and setting the edge. You go out and get uh, Sebastian Day Joseph in the middle of that defense. And then you get a guy with J.C. Jackson who helps you allocate more resources to the run as well because he can just go out on the island and strap up guys and turn the ball over. So they're spending money wisely. Um, still got a decent draft position. Um, you got a, a, a head coach who has more experience under his belt. I think he, you know, I think he would even say he probably lost a few games last year being over aggressive, but learned from that. And also at the same time, it's still an identity in his team. Uh, you got Justin Herbert, who's going into his second year with the same offensive coordinator. A lot of people don't know he's on his third offensive coordinator in his young career. So all arrows are pointing up in that division. Division is obviously tough, but um, if I had to pick one, I would definitely go with the Chargers and not uh, Justin Herbert. Darius Butler is joining us. All right, so Darius, what about Miami? For instance, it seems to me if Tua, if Tua can't get it done with all these weapons, it's pretty clear that he's not the guy. But based on what yep. you've seen from him so far, how do you think he's going to show up in an offense that has Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, and the rest of all those weapons now? How different will he be? I mean, it, it should be night and day. Watching that offense last year, it was one of the most basic 
elementary offense I'd ever seen on the NFL level. Mm. I mean, that's just what it was. And, and a lot of that started with up front. They didn't have much up front at all. you got to be able to protect the quarterback uh, for the play call to be able to call plays. I think they did a good job getting Waddle involved. Um, he's a dynamic weapon off his side of the ball. And then you bring a guy like Tyreek Hill, who is, you know, beyond special. Once again, a quarterback on their rookie deal. Um, they should be they should be awesome. They should be night and day on their offense. You got Mike McDaniels, who you, we see how creative uh, San Fran was in using Debo and getting him the ball and keeping him involved. So uh, you brought Mostert over, Edmonds. Um, you still got Mike Kosecki, who I really love at the tight end position. So I think, Tua, um, this is really the year. I don't think everything should be based on this year. But um, you, we should see huge improvements and huge uh, gains and strides going in the right direction. And uh, we'll, we'll really see if he's the guy to build around. And, and if not, I'm sure they'll go forward and go in a different direction with that uh, quarterback position. But, I mean, he got, he's got all his tools at his disposal. And that's another division uh, with a, a lot of question marks, really. You know, obviously the AFC East have been dominated by the Patriots for a couple of decades. Bills have kind of taken the, the, the lead on it now. But, um, you know, the AFC East is, is wide open now with all these moves with the Dolphins. And then, obviously, um, you know, what's going on uh Buffalo and then New England. No doubt. Terry Spotler joining us, the creator and host of the Everything TV show on YouTube, co-host of the Man of Man podcast. So, Darius, like, you and I have been talking about the Colts quarterback situation. It feels like four years <laughs> And the reason it feels like that is because we have. Do you feel like they have solved it for 2022 with Matt Ryan, or is that carousel just going to keep right on spinning? You know, you, you feel good. I, I feel good. I mean, in this league, you're getting better, you're getting worse, and they got better uh, with the Matt Ryan signing. Um, they, they got better in their draft capital. Um, but now it really comes down to what, what Ballard does next and what do you put around uh, Matt Ryan because you don't want, as a 37-year-old quarterback who's going to be a statue in the pocket, uh, right now, Michael Pittman is probably their best best pass catch, catching option. You don't want an old, an old quarterback doesn't want to come in and have to develop a young uh, receiver to be a number one. You got to get some guys in there that are used to beating coverages and making big catches, getting to a right spot, uh, being on right landmarks. You know, you got Jarvis Landry out there. Obviously, Julio Jones, who has a lot of connection with Matt Ryan. Um, but you got to get some real top notch, maybe a, a big time trade. Hopefully, maybe a, a Tyler Lockett or somebody gets in there. But you solved the quarterback issue for now, uh, for 2022. But the, the the bad part about that is, you know, you're going to be right back in the quarterback market next year, the year after that. So, um, you know, you got to have some long term stability at that position to have any success in this league. And you look at the rest of the AFC with all these young, dynamic quarterbacks and what they bring to the table. Um, it's going to be an uphill battle. And you also got to uh, pay attention to that left tackle position and the cornerback position. So you address the, the, the quarterback position for this year, but um, unfortunately this is the sixth year in a row now that the, quarter, the Colts will be starting a new quarterback on opening day. And uh, that is not the recipe uh, for success in this league. That's an insane stat, isn't it? Darius Butler joining us. Speaking of quarterbacks and receivers and quarterbacks needing receivers, how do you think Aaron Rodgers is going to play without Devontae Adams? Whew. I mean, I still think he's going to be a good quarterback. Just the same thing with Patrick Mahomes. They're still going to be top-notch, top-five type quarterbacks. But when you get in those tough spots, you know, those third downs, those two-minute drives, like you knew where 12 was going. And uh, it, it kind of was to their detriment in the big games, in the playoff game against uh, San Fran. That was one of the things that uh, we had Jimmy Ward on the man-to-man pile, me and A.B., and that was one of the things he talked about was, hey, we took away 17 pre-snap and, and Aaron Rodgers struggled to find other guys who were actually open. So now he's going to be forced to have to uh, bring other guys along. I'm sure they're going to make some draft picks in that receiver room. But 
older quarterbacks don't like, you know, playing with these younger receivers, so you got to kind of bring along. So that was one probably my most surprising move of this offseason, which says a lot, with Devontae Adams leaving a two-time MVP to go and play with his best friend across the country. But I think Aaron Rodgers would be fine. And, um, you know, that recipe wasn't bringing Super Bowls, you know, at the end of the day. So maybe – um, you know, having a, a more of an assortment of where the ball goes now, maybe they have more success um, when it counts the most because the NFC is still going to be open for the picking. They can still make a, a push and, and get into a Super Bowl with all the talent that is left and went over to the AFC side. You know, Darius, I was going to ask you about some basketball, but, but I want to follow up on something you just said. Why, if you had to guess, why do you think Devontae did leave? You make a great point. He left the two-time MVP. I understand that he and Derek Carr are close, but why do you think ultimately he left? You know, I can't answer that for sure, but from the outside looking in, I mean, you're going from, you know, Appleton, Wisconsin to Las Vegas, Nevada, and regardless of what your personal life is outside of the facility, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it's a lot. I'm sure it feels a lot better going home once you leave that facility in, in, in Vegas. And then, you know, no state income tax, and then you're going to play with your best friend. So it's a lot of things that, that point in that direction. Maybe you wanted a fresh start, obviously a lot is going on around Aaron Rodgers for the last couple of years. And they and it's not like, you know, they're, they're, they were winning Super Bowls over there. So you go over to the AFC West, you go over with your best friend, and you play with the Raiders, new head coach, new system, and, um, you know, you go have fun with it. You know, you'll be, be 30 in a, in a year or two, became the highest-paid receiver for a couple of days. So uh, it was a lot of reasons, I guess, you can look at that to see why. Uh, but I can't recall a receiver – ever leaving a quarterback playing at this level, you know, at the point that they are in their careers. But, um, you know, he, he, he did it, and uh, this is something. And also I, I found out this week that he's been a lifelong Raiders fan, and, and that's kind of been a dream of his. So, you know, it's kind of cool. Uh, that was that was a shocker for me. That caught me completely off guard. I, I agree with you. I did I did not see that coming. But at the same point, I think you just made seven or eight key points as to why he might make a decision like that. He's a nine-year NFL vet. He is the creator uh, and host of the Everything DB Show on YouTube. Co-host of the Man of Man podcast. Good friend of the program, Darius Butler, doing what he does, breaking it all down expertly. Darius, thanks so much, man. I always appreciate you. Jim, appreciate you once again. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? All right, so let's go to the big head. Give me a minute to set this up. We are on to the Sweet 16. Four games today. Four games tomorrow, which means one big head bet segment today, one big head bet segment tomorrow. 
And today's matchups are tremendous, and they're really tough to pick. Everything up until now has been really tough to pick, and it's only getting tougher. So, head. First of all, how are you living? And more importantly, given how tough these games are to call and to pick, did you wake up feeling dangerous, Head? <laughs> yes, I did, Jim. Sweet 16 day. I'm feeling very dangerous. Not as dangerous as the Dolphins' offense, probably, but pretty damn dangerous, man. There you go. So now we all need a system. I know you have yours, mm-hmm. whatever the hell that system is. We all need angles. We all need principles when it comes to getting down. Now, the one principle, give me a minute here, the one principle that I should have that I do not have, and you yourself are constantly reminding me of this, do not bet on your friends. It only comes back to bite you in the ass, and it costs you money. And these are exact words you tell me. By the way, you're not wrong, but I keep doing it anyway. Why? Why? Because I'm not going to bet against my friends. So then you might say, If you can't bet against your friends, then just sit it out. Don't make a bet at all. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah, because that's going to happen, right? So why am I rambling on about this yet again? Our first game, big head, Arkansas going up against Gonzaga. I know it's not coach v. coach, but this one puts me in a tough spot. Mark Few has a long and deep relationship with this program. He's been coming on since he took over that program back in 1999. I've been talking to this guy literally for decades. Thing is, I've been interviewing Eric Musselman since my days in Santa Barbara. I literally consider Mus one of my best friends. So how the hell do I not throw in with one of my best friends? I'm doing it again, head. I'm riding with Muss because of that friendship and because he's a hell of a coach and they're tough as hell. Let's start right there. What's the number? Who you got? How you playing it? Yeah, man, all true on E-Muss, but I'll do you a solid here, Jim, and ride with your other friend, Mark Few, and lay the nine and a half points right now. It's nine and a half. It's big, but this is just not a good matchup for Muss's team. The positive for him in Arkansas is the Zags haven't shot the three well in the tournament. The negative is pretty much everything else here. Arkansas strength. Shut is up on- with that. <laughs> their offense is inside. Or their their strength is on offense inside that three point line, and the Zags have, of course, size and Chet Holmgren's ability to block and alter shots. There, that's a massive problem considering the Razorbacks. Shoot 30% from distance. Razorbacks. Razorbacks. They shoot the 314th overall from three-point land, Jim. That's not good. Add the fact that Muss's teams draw fouls. They attempt the second most free throws in the country, but the Zags do a great job of not fouling. I know the number is big at nine and a half, but the tempo should be fast. And I'm going with the best offense in the country here, the Zags, and laying the nine and a half points here. Arkansas might look like Petrino after this one, bud. Dude, you sound like crap today. Come on, man. Pull it together. But you know what, though? What you say, if, if I can make sense of half of what you just said, it makes a lot of sense. This is what I'm saying. Like, I can't dispute this. And on paper, you're right. I do like the nine and a half, but I love Muss, so I'm going to stay with my guy. All right, so we're on the wrong side of the first game. Then you've got Michigan and the face snatcher, Juwan Howard, plus five. Juwan Howard, plus five versus Villanova. To me, it's a really interesting matchup. Now, you ask me, Head, the Michigan men have underachieved badly this season. Mm -hmm. They did start the year getting all sorts of run as a potential national championship contender, only to go 17-14 and lose their coach late in the year because he started snatching face. (laughs) 
That said, nobody ever doubted their talent, and they are still standing. My thing is Villanova is obviously better coached with Jay Wright. Top to bottom, to me, they're the better team. But, 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 here we go. Mm -hmm. To me, five points is real value for a team with Michigan's talent and upside. And you know what? Frankly, five points? Probably too much for me to ignore. I don't feel great about it, but believe it or not, I'm going to take the face snatcher plus five. Okay. The hell I am. Here we go again. <laughs> when I need to detach and bet objectively, I will do just the opposite. And you know why? I'm not going against Jay Wright. And more importantly, I cannot go against Jay Wright's dudes, who, although I never met them, they're my dudes. Buff, Mook, and Bob Craig. I'm taking Villanova. I'm going to lay the freaking points, all five of them. What says you, Head? Uh, tough to go against Mook and the Phillas here, Jim, but I have to. I'll take the face snatcher and the points. 100% on the same page as far as Michigan underachieved this season, but now they are playing their best ball in the tournament. Their defense has been on point. They've clamped down on the Vols from distance. In the second half, they didn't even let uh, Tennessee hit 1-3. For the game, they were 2 of 18 from 3. They also have the advantage on the glass here in big man. Hunter Dickinson presents a big problem for Nova in the paint. If Michigan wants to pull off the upset straight up, they have to get more from five-star recruit Caleb Houston, who has gone scoreless in two of his last four games, so that's a big worry. But good news for Michigan, Devontae Jones should be able to play more. He's been battling a concussion. Also, the face snatcher and his team, they are actually the best in the underdog role against the spread. They are 6-3 and three on the season. I'm going to take the points in Michigan here. Yeah, I, I see it working. That is value. Hey, you know what? When you look at Juwan, you know what he's better at than anybody else? Snatching face. All right, so it comes down to this. Who who do you want to fade? Me or the big head? Because we have gone opposite ways. You and I usually don't do that. Like, we do separate at certain points, but the first two games, we're going opposite ways. Texas Tech v. Duke. Mm. Really intriguing matchup. Did you ever think that you would see the day where Tech, without Chris Beard, would be favored over Duke in the tourney? Not just favored over Duke, but a Duke team that is absolutely loaded with maybe as many as four first-round picks. Did you ever think that you would see a day that Tech would be favored over Duke with a talent disparity like that and that it wouldn't be a problem like they should be favored they're that good mm -hmm. they're that consistent mark adams has done that good of a job with them really tough game to call what is the number how are you playing that one tech is favored by one and it's a testament to what you just said about adams man he's just done a better job of maximizing his guys and a better job than coach k has to this point duke should be uh steamrolling people right now and they just aren't however I'm going to take the point and the Blue Devils Ooh. here. I'm hoping the last five minutes against Michigan State was the kickstart they needed. They were really good in finishing the Spartans off. Ken Palm has Texas Tech as the best defense in the country. They will kick Duke out of the paint and make them beat them from deep, but Duke can shoot. They've shot 37 points, or 37% from distance this season. Also, of late, Duke hasn't protected the ball, but all season they did. If they could do that, move the ball around and get Tech moving, I actually think they could pull this off. Williams, Bancaro, Moore, and John will all have to put their big boy pants on tonight because Texas Tech are grown men, and they will bring that physicality. I will say Coach K... And his Blue Devils will take and not cut the cheese tonight. Duke plus one. Did you just say that Coach K would Holder. not cut the cheese? You right. Just, He'll take it.
And you're in third grade. It's a right. big dump in your pants. Here's the thing. I agree with you. Like They look great in the last five minutes against Michigan State. I'm concerned about how they've looked in the last five games, yeah, the last five weeks. Yes. I've gone back and forth on this one. You know exactly what you're going to get with Texas Tech. They're tough as hell. They sell out defensively. They mm-hmm. show up every freaking night. Of course, Duke has more high-end talent. They've got a greater ceiling, but you mm-hmm. don't know what you're going to get from them from night to night. Frankly, I don't think they've played at a very high level consistently for a long time. I guess what I'm saying is I do not trust them, and I think that these guys playing out Coach K's final days, I think that is taking a toll on them. I'm going with Tech. You and I have gone separate ways on the first three games. Finally, Arizona minus one and a half versus Houston. Head, you know I love both these teams. I love both their coaches. I can't really play the karma angle because both coaches came on in the last couple of days. Now, let me say this. I know you, and although you won't let me in on your system, I know that you are a big believer in analytics Mm -hmm. and metrics, right? Mm -hmm. I know you are, so then I know you must love Houston. And if you're a believer in grit, and badassery. Mm-hmm. You have to love Kelvin Sampson, too, in all of his teams. This one's no different. Tough as hell, like their coach, but there is a reason Arizona is a one. In fact, about 100 reasons. And to me, top to bottom, they still look like the most dangerous team remaining. I think them surviving TCU is a good thing, mm-hmm. not a bad thing. I love Kelvin. I love what the Cougs have overcome this season. But Arizona, to me, head, is playing at such a high level. They're freaky athletically. They're so well coached. Tough as it is, I'm taking the cats. I'm going to lay the point and a half. What are you doing? All great points. I'm with you on TCU. They kind of prime zona for the biggest, baddest dudes in the street in Houston tonight. These teams are going to contest shots, and they're going to bang the glass, especially the offensive glass, and take zero possessions off. But I'm going to go against you again here and take Kelvin's squad and the point and a half you can get. They've been been, uh, been playing better offensively and defensively, more efficient than Arizona have, has of late. Their three-headed backcourt of Kyler Edwards, Jamal Sheed, and Taze Moore are playing really good. They're shooting well. They're playing and really course, well. Well, playing well, yep. You're butchering the English up. language really good. <laughs> I'm on point, man. You're on also, brand. I don't know if you're on point. You're on your brand. <laughs> if your brand is illiteracy... <laughs> Continue. That is it. That's part of it, and the big head as well. And against the spread, Jim, uh, Houston's hotter here. They're five and zero in their last five games, nine and one in their last ten, and Samson is twelve and three in his last fifteen games. As an underdog, you are right about Arizona's athleticism and their scoring punch. That might be the difference, but I'm gonna and take their that length point and, and what you do to the English language. I'm right about those things too. <laughs> that too, as well. Yes. All right, so what are you doing? You're going to go Houston. Plus one and a half. You and I have never. I mean, that's only four games, and we went the opposite way on all four games. So run it back yet. I actually like it. This is going to be really interesting to see how you and I do and how the clones play it. If they fade you, if they fade me, if they fade both of us, run it back quickly. Who you got tonight? Zags minus nine and a half over Emus in Arkansas. Duke is Duke plus one over Texas Tech. The face snatcher, Jawan Howard and Michigan men, plus five over Mook and the boys. And Houston, Kelvin Sampson, plus one and a half over Arizona. Yeah, baby, I love it. This is so great. Sweet so 16. Fun. You know, it's not only is it so fun, but we're going to run it back again tomorrow. We've got all this action tonight, Hell amazing yes. action tonight. And then you will be back tomorrow, and we will do this thing again. Head, great job, a lot of fun. Have a great time with us tonight, and I'll see you tomorrow. All right. Thanks, Jim. Big head. James Kelly. 
Oh yeah, I love that sound. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. What Shopify does is it gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Listen, I know where we started and where we are right now, and I do not plan on stopping there. Because success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path. And Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. Do this for me. No, do this for you. Go to shopify.com slash Rome, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. You have to try this. Grow your business with Shopify today, go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. That's shopify.com slash Rome, R-O-M-E, all lowercase. Do it. Check it out. Roger McCreary is my guest. Roger, it's good to have you on today. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. All right, so you recently had your pro day. Let me start right there. How pleased were you with the way you showed up on pro day? And then what do you want teams to know about you once you were done? On the pro day, it was great. It was just like great to be back home and, and my college. Uh, just my mindset was just going to show everything that I did on uh, combine. Just do every drill and everything. I felt like I did good at the end. And at the end of, it, I just wanted to show them that that I, I can run. I can change directions. I'm strong. That was my first time benching. So I felt like I showed them the physical side of me and everything. And I just feel like show them overall as a player of how high I am. So I felt. Roger McCreary joining us. You know, your story is really interesting to me. For instance, the names of all the All-Americans are displayed on this wall of the Auburn practice facility. I understand they used to stare at that list during practice. Then you came back to the facility, and your name is now up there with the rest. What did it feel like to see your name among the all-time greats that have played there? Uh, it was crazy when I first, like, growing, like coming to college. I always see it, but I never knew, like, what, what I had to do to get there. So it was just crazy. Like, I was just being me, just playing the sport that I love. And at the end, when I finally came back and see my name on the board, it was just great to actually see the last one was Derrick Brown. Because he was like, he was a great player, and I was the next player next. And, that, and, the, and the last DB was Carson Davis. And I was the next DB. It just felt great to finally be out there. And I felt like I did great at the college. And I left my mark there. Roger McCreary joining us. So you were just playing the game that you've always loved. And you were also playing the game that your mother played and loved. Yes, I just said that. Your mother played Pop Warner football growing up. What have you heard about mom's game and the physicality that she brought to it? Oh, I just heard that she was just a strong, tough woman. That's how I was growing up. She played linebacker. Um, they call her Icebox because she um talked to do collarbone. And like that's all she did was just tackle. And that's how a lot of people just respect her. And just growing up, they always respect me because of her. And I just had to live up to her dream because she loves football. And I feel like I made her proud. Dude, that is incredible. Like, so how much for your passion, like your passion, your grit for the game, and your playmaking ability actually come from your mother? Yeah, um, I say the passion is really, is really great. It's good. Um, it's a game that I love. I'm um, just growing up to see this sport. I, the sport I love to play and make her happy. That's that's my wife. She is my wife, and she pushed me every time, and just even get better at, at the next level. 
because I know she's going to be there. I'm just trying to make her proud and just play the sport that I, I actually love. I love that story. Roger McCreary joining us. So I would ask you about the transition from college to the NFL and the concerns that you might have. But playing at Auburn, you're going up against elite quarterbacks and receivers for years. As an example, your first career start was on the road against Joe Burrow in LSU. I'm curious, take me back to that game. What was running through you in the buildup to that game and then during the game? What was that like? I'm building up like the week coming to that game. My coach told me that I was gonna have to start because the new um the new scheme that we have been going against him. So I was a little nervous because I had like great bets like Derrick Brown, Martin Davis, um the safety Jeremiah Dix and everybody I had to uh, help. And finally I played in the big game. I was playing Jamar Chase like many the whole game. And I wasn't even the the on um, the star corner there. So it was just it was just like just, just me playing and not being scared and just be out there. Don't think about it, just play and just make great plays. Um, that was some plays with Jamar Chase scored on me, but that was some that was some plays I feel like I, I did good. I feel like I hit my ground and I feel like in that game after I caught the pick, that's where I got my confidence. I was going to say, actually, you absolutely did hold your own. You picked off Burrow in that game, and that pass was headed to Jamar Chase. You also had double-digit tackles in that game. You nearly pulled off the huge upset. So you just touched on this, but let me just confirm this. When that game was over, because of the way you showed up, did you feel like you proved that you belonged at that level, proved it to yourself and everybody else? Oh, yes, sir. I feel like, um, uh, I, feel like uh, I was there, and like, I feel like my comfort went to the roof. Then I just carried that to the next week. And throughout the whole season that I had that swag, that I, I've been long here. And ever since then, I just made them a great play just as a team. I, and I feel like I did great with that. Talking to Roger McCreary, so it was not just Chase. You also faced off against Devontae Smith and more. Like, what were those matchups like? And how much did you get out of those challenges? Um, Just the matchups I'm going against, like Jamar Chase and the other great receivers, it's just, it, it's just great going against them because they all, they all come with the same technique. They all come with the same skills. Um, some tall and fast, some just jump and have great hands, some just quick and fast. It's just playing the SEC. I feel like it was great. It was great to have that um, experience in the SEC. And that's the reason I love playing in it because I played against the best. And I feel like I did good against the best. And just carry on to the next level. I feel like I'm going to do great. Roger McCreary is joining us. So you had a great college career. Now, you know how this process goes. People will try to find every flaw that they can. Sometimes they just make stuff up. I mean, literally, depending on what their agenda is. When you were at the Senior Bowl, one of the things that was talked about was your arm length, and some folks thought that they were not long enough. How did you react when you heard that, and what do you do with that? Um, when I first heard that, um, I, was, I was really surprised because I, I kind of already knew it just everybody else didn't know. But, um... When people say that, like when they try to make blood out of proportion and everything, I, I really didn't care because they wasn't saying that like throughout my whole college career when I was going against big guys, like big car receivers, that it wasn't showing then. I feel like in none of my family shows because because of how God where I play against every receiver and I feel like dimension like define the player just because size and measurement he shouldn't define him. I feel like I do great with my short arms. I defend him. Great receivers with my short arms. I did a lot with my short arms, and I feel like I'm gonna do great in the future too. Right? I mean, was there any part of you like, well, wait a minute, hold up now? The length of my arms. Nobody brought this up when I was covering Jamar Chase. Nobody said anything when I was yeah. checking Devonte Smith. Why is this an issue right now? Like, I know that you're not going to say that, but did you think that? So yes, yes, sir, yes, sir. I thought that, but 
I just I just let people talk, so I, I'm just coming. I just need that one phone call, and I'm sure the team while I have. But um, I don't care about what people say, though. Good move. I like that. That's how you handle that. I want to ask you about something else. Legend has it you've got one of the greatest pregame meals ever that I've ever heard of. Is it true, my man, that you eat a whole lot of baked beans? How did that start? And when we say a whole lot of baked beans, what are we talking about? A plate? Two plates? More? What's your yes. approach? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I love baked beans. Um, it started when I was growing up. I was going to um, family barbecue. My mom and my grandma used to always make baked beans. And that was stood out. The leftovers that was stood out. I just always ate it. But on um, pregame meals, I eat one whole plate. My first plate got to be one whole plate of baked beans with like eight packs of sugar. That got to be. But with my family, my grandma makes me a whole pot of baked beans by myself. And she have other pot for everybody there at the party. So I've been doing that a lot. It's just something that I really love since I was young. And I was always, I will always eat. Hey, Roger, I don't know what I like better. The fact that you could go through an entire pot of baked beans, that you get your own pot, and then the party gets their pot, or that you hit it with that much sugar, or that mom's played linebacker. I, I don't know what I like best about this whole thing. I like all these things. How about this? Am I correct in thinking you grew up as an Alabama fan? If that's the case, how did you end up at Auburn? Um, it was. I grew up an Alabama fan. I always grew up a Alabama fan, but... Um... As as like as it got closer to the end of my um, high school career, Auburn that was more attention on me than Bama. Like that was that was getting a lot of me, a lot of attention on me. So when I went on the visit with Auburn, it was everything was great and everything. And Bama they didn't they didn't really give me an offer really. It was a, a PWO, but um that was that that was it right there. So that was like a chip on my shoulder, and I always and and my fit just switched. And I always, I just want to be Bama. That was my mindset. Every time when I when I played against them, I try to give all I got just to beat them because I know a lot of people back home love Bama. So I want to make them upset and finally beat Bama. My guest is Steve Lavin. Steve, we've got a few moments. So let me first say, you and I have not spoken in a couple of years. How are you doing right now? How is life for you right about now, Steve? You know, it's uh, still one of those scenarios where you just give thanks. Uh, probably what you do on a daily basis. Grateful uh, to be up here and San Francisco and getting ready for the Sweet 16 at the Chase Center. I uh, got a short commute from where I live here in San Francisco and, and just looking forward to taking in the action this weekend. Right, Steve, no doubt. I mean, that's your old stomping grounds right there. And as you point out, it's a short commute. So let me just jump right into it. The first game tonight is the four Arkansas going up against the top seed Gonzaga. I want to start with Arkansas because Eric Musselman and I go way, way back. What are your initial thoughts when you look at the Razorbacks? Well, you know, interesting, they started 0-3 in conference play, and, and now they've been on a tear. And so uh, just a dangerous team, very quick, very athletic. Um, they do some things defensively that disrupt opponents. Uh, they're dangerous in getting out in the open court. Uh, some interesting matchup. The offensive rebound well, uh, but they are a team that really reflects uh, Coach Musselman. You know, he's fiery. He's passionate, uh, comes from a coaching family. Of course, his father, Bill Musselman, was a legend uh, in the game of basketball. And, and uh, just being around him even yesterday, uh, you know, it's contagious energy. And, and I think his teams feed off of that. And they've got the chip on the shoulder. Uh, they feel everyone is, you know, talking about Gonzaga and not giving the Razorbacks enough love. And, and he thrives 
on that us against the world mentality, and uh, it should be a dandy of a ball game. Muss loves that. You're right, Steve Lavin joining us. So, Steve, what about Gonzaga? They were tested in both games that they played in Portland last weekend. In your opinion, is that a good thing, or would you be concerned if you're Mark Few? And did you see any vulnerability? Well, you know, you don't want to get out to slow starts, especially as you get deeper into the tournament and you're playing you know, a higher quality of opponent. Uh, sometimes a slow start can be the difference in a game. Uh, and yet the positive is resiliency and, and the fact that they've been able to use some ingenuity and resourcefulness. Uh, Timmy stepping up in the second half. Uh, their guards were outstanding in their first-round game, and Timmy really took over uh, in the second half uh, with his crafty footwork and shot takes and maneuvering and using the window. And as we know, Timmy's not a, tremendous athlete, uh, yet because of his understanding of angles and position uh, and the confidence and the fact that the Zags play through him, uh, he's someone to be reckoned with. Um, So I think the fact they've come back in those games and won is a positive. Uh, There's times when they look like they're playing with the weight of the world on their back, uh, but, you know, there's some new pieces. Uh, They lost, you know, three players that went on to the NBA. Uh, They lost four of their key pieces, and yet they've reloaded, uh, and that's a credit to Mark Few and his staff and their ability to continue to play at a high level year after year, going on decades now. Mm. Steve Lavin joining us. All right, Steve, what about the second game? You've got Texas Tech going up against Duke. You know, a lot of folks thought that maybe Tech might take a step back after Chris Beard left, but that has not been the case. What do you make of the job that Mark Adams has done with his team? Yeah, really interesting. I mean, you watch him on the sidelines, and He looks more like someone that would be teaching a history class or uh, might have a background in science. Um, And uh, his team plays with precision. They're kind of an old-school team. Uh, They don't rely on three-pointers. They control the basket area. They double opponents on points in the paint. And that's because of their ability uh, to really jam up the paint, yet they also have good pressure on the basketball. And uh, they don't let you run your conventional offense, so opponents – have to really play concept basketball, be able to read and react because they're not going to allow you to run your traditional half-court sets. They do a great job with scouting and taking away what a team wants to run. Uh, Duke, on the flip side, uh, is a powerhouse offensively. Uh, five players in double figures, uh, Paolo Bancaro, a lottery-level talent. I think you know five, uh, all five starters will play in the NBA at some point. Some are first-rounders, some are probably second-rounders. So Uh, Coach K's got a lot of firepower, and yet this Blue Devil team is the youngest he's ever coached. They don't play like a young team. They don't look uh, like an old team. They're stout physically. I watched the practice yesterday and was really impressed uh, when you get down on the court and actually see uh, just the the physicality of this Duke team impresses. And yet they're not uh, the traditional Duke Blue Devil teams that win with their defense. They really win more with their offense. Uh, but what a story, Coach K, swan song, coming full circle back to San Francisco where uh, he first really picked up his love of the game through being in the Army and trying out for the Army national teams here at the Presidio Army base. That's now closed, but 1971-72 is, is where he really gained the love of San Francisco, and here he is 50 years later uh, in what could be his last weekend as a head coach at Duke or could be extended for one more week if uh, they were to push to the Final Four. Steve Lavin, my guest, really quickly, Steve, since you mentioned that, and I was going to ask you about that. I mean, he talked about coming full circle. You're the son of Cap Lavin, who is an absolute legend. Like, you're not that far from home, as you mentioned. How would you describe the Hoops culture in that area? You know, it's 
um, underrated. I don't think people understand the history. You go back to the University of San Francisco that won the NIT championship when the NIT was bigger than the NCAA in 1949 with Pete Newell as the head coach. Uh, they had the back-to-back titles with Bill Russell and Casey Jones. Phil Wolpert was the coach. And, of course, Newell later came back, coached the Cal Bears, and went to the Final Four in 60 and won the gold medal in 60. And they won the national title in 1959. And there's been other programs, St. Mary's of late, uh, with Randy Bennett going back. Look at Santa Clara under Dick Davey. Um, they had a great run as well. So uh, Steve Nash and company uh, upset some teams in the tournament. So there's just great basketball tradition. Bill Cartwright years at USF were outstanding as well. And uh, so there is a real you know appreciation for the game, and the fans are going to turn out because uh, it was a great field here at the Sweet 16 in the Chase Center. Well said. I think that it's a really underrated area. There's been some great, great basketball there. Steve Lavin is a college basketball analyst. Once again, led teams to eight NCAA tournaments, five Sweet 16s, the Elite Eight, and remember, part of Westwood One's coverage of the West Region getting underway at 7.09 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be a great, great night of basketball. Steve, it's great to get caught up. I'm glad we could spend some time together. Thank you very much, and good to have you back. Yeah, great to hear your voice, Jim. We'll do it again. You too. Good night!